0: Praise the, Lord. Praise the Lord. It is really a blessing and it's a privilege for me to stand in front of you and uh, to share the word of God. Um, I am really delighted for this and also I am really thankful to uh, the elders for allowing me to be able to stand here. Um, I would just say that it's not um, without fear and trembling. (laughs) Because the Bible says that those who teach will undergo severe, stricter judgment. That is according to uh, James chapter three, verse one. But now, let's dive into the text of today. And thank you so much for reading this. I can hear a feedback. I don't It's that. Thank you. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I would like to focus on this um, word. Specifically, I am requested to talk about Jesus Christ being called Mighty God, being called Everlasting Father. Those are the two attributes, uh, the two names, that were given to Jesus that I'm going to focus on. In, when you go into history, when you look at um, Hebrew tradition, what they, they were doing, especially mothers, when they were giving birth, what they were doing is to name the children, the child that came, a name that was significant. And that name was tied to, um, Something that happened, the circumstances of the birth, and they would name the child that way. You have names such as Cain, which means gotten. So, gotten from God. I have gotten a man from the Lord, from Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And you have Seth, which means appointed. And you have Noah, which means rest or comfort. You also have names such as Isaac, that means laughter. You can kind of understand what that means, laughter. Um, so Sarah was 90 years, that's double <laughs> menopause. Um, <laughs> but they, God in his miraculous way, gave them a child at that age. So that brought about laughter to them. And you also have Jacob. Uh, who's called the crafty one. Uh, If you know anything about Jacob, you know that he's a guy who, um, he's a crafty one. I'll just leave it as that because you know the story. Um, Yes, so maybe you're sitting there. I I would just say that that tradition is not particular to Hebrews. It is a tradition that, in my context, also exists. We have such tradition so we would name children according to the circumstances. But you're probably sitting there thinking, uh, what is the meaning of my name? What does that have to do with my life? Um, I just want you to not be afraid because the word of God says this. See what God, uh, what great love the Father has lavished up, up, uh, on us. That we should be called the children of God. And that it was, uh, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us um, is that it did not know Him. So you don't have to worry about what the meaning of your name is. uh, Because that is really a big deal back home. uh, Meaning of names. Um, We are called the children of God. We have been given a new identity in Christ. So don't worry at all what the meaning of your name is. Now... The Bible says that he shall be called everlasting father. There are characteristics that comes with that title, of father. Uh, when you have a father, you see you have somebody who has love, who has care, who has tenderness, who, has, who can provide. And the list truly does go on because there are a lot of characteristics that tie to that. And uh, when you, you may be that in your life, that you went through some situations with your father, and that kind of blurries your view of our heavenly Father, I can tell you that our fathers, even at best, even at best, they're still falling short. and the true standard is God himself. Instead of us trying to take what we see in our fathers and try to reflect that to our heavenly father, we should actually go to the scriptures and see what God says about him and reflect that. Because that has to be the scale on which every single person has to be weighted. And I will tell you also something like if your view of God is Defined or it's it's drawn, and the picture that you have of God is drawn from the view that you had of your father. You will have a God who looks like your father, and that's not a good news. And if the view of God that you have is a view of uh, God painted in the view of rich men, you will have a God who does not deal so kindly with poor, and that is bad news. So What does that mean? Looking at my notes here, just give me a second. It's the first time. (laughs) Um, So, our Heavenly Father is the one who provides. Um, that is actually for the last, what I was talking about. So that's a distorted view of God. If you reflect, it to, uh, you reflect your father to God, instead of reflecting God to your father, you will get that kind of picture. It's distorted. Yes, so now God, when it comes to salvation, God did not start planning when you and I did fall back in the garden The Bible says that God started even in the very beginning, since the foundation of the world, you were chosen in Christ. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the promise that God is making right after the fall. He's making about this coming Messiah. Is also is already giving hope, and when we look throughout the whole Testament, we find that God there was there were glimpses of God showing Himself and manifesting Himself um, in order to prepare our heart for what is coming, which is the Lord Jesus Himself coming. For example, when we go back to the Garden, we find that man did fall and. Uh, that um, death entered into the world, and the Bible says that there was an animal who was killed. When you read in the Genesis, you find there was an animal who was killed to cover the nakedness of our first father. And that animal who was killed is an imagery of Christ, because he took the clothing, which was the skin of the animal, and gave it to... um, Uh, Our first parent. And the clothing, when you read in the scripture, what does it mean? When you read in Revelation chapter 19, it says that the clothing, when you look at this picture of the bride of Christ, she was given this bright linen um, and it was clean. And the interpretation is that that bright linen was truly the righteous deeds of the saint. And when it comes to the clothing, that points us strictly toward to Christ. Because we have, we have now been, uh, uh, we, we are covered and we have been given the works of Christ. His righteousness, it's imputed to us. That's the clothing. The clothing. And when you go also down, you find there was also this ram who was caught in the thickets. When you read about Abraham who went to sacrifice Isaac. That ram who, who was caught in the thickest, Ibrahim took that ram and killed that ram. And he killed that ram. That ram died instead of Isaac. And that's it's an imagery of Christ dying in our place where we deserve to die. He went there and died for us. And then nextly, we see also another imagery when it comes to the Passover this lamb who did not have any blemish, and this lamb was killed, and his blood, as the reading was happening here, was applied at the door, at the doorpost. And what was the reason for that? Because that same night, this angel of destruction was to pass, but it passed over the people of God. And Christ also died so that the wrath of God can pass over you. And also we as well see the temple and its sacrifices. That is the imagery of Christ. All of that was pointing toward Christ. Ultimate sacrifice. Who would enter the holy of holies once and for all. And to die the righteous for the unjust. And to save us all. So the plan of God to save you did not start when you fall. Did not start when our first parent, um, fall, uh, fell in the garden. It did not start there, because when you read in Ephesians, you find that the Bible says that um, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. As well as when you go and you read in Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 to 4 it says that I mean that the heir as long as he is a child is not different from a slave though he is the owner of everything but he is under guardians and messengers until the date um, set by his father in the same way We also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. It's not like God was caught by surprise by the fall of man. It's not like that. It says that when the fullness of time came, He sent forth his son. You know, sometimes people think like God was busy dealing with the problems of the world. And here on the other side, the Israelites crying to God, come save us. And then God turns around, oh, you need saving? I didn't know that. No, it says that when the fullness of time came, he sent forth his son. Fullness of time, under control. Everything under control. I like that. Praise the Lord. And now, we can conclude and say this, not conclude the sermon, but we're going. Um, the birth of Christ was uh, providential. It didn't just happen, you know, randomly. It was providential. And there are over 300, 300 prophecies that Christ accomplished. Amen. You know, he's the only expected person in the world, in the world history. He's the only expected I was not expected I was not expected by my parents I'm not saying that to shame anyone but I'm saying that because it's true nobody was looking through the history a certain Joseph will be born somewhere no nobody was looking for anybody except Christ people went and searching in the scriptures and nobody was looking for you either I don't say that to lower your (laughs) self-esteem But you are so loved by God. nobody was looking for you, but God knew you, because He hand, and admitted you in the womb of your mother. Amen. Amen. Now, that's God's providence. But God is also tender. He is tender. Sinners were not judged when they drew near to Christ. Sinners were not judged when they drew near to him. I mean, really, I mean this. There are people who call themselves Christians, but you just can't be around them. It is hard because they don't go hunting. They don't do anything. It's just like that. And if you even sneeze, they'll find a verse to rebuke you. But how can you serve the world? How can you you be that light if all you want to do is to be at your corner? Like at your quarters or somewhere? There's no way you can serve the world that way. There's no way you can share the light that you have. You know, when we have broad light, you light a candle outside, what's the impact of it? When we read in John 17... The Bible says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That's Jesus praying before he left, before he was crucified. He's praying for his disciples. He says, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. Now, Christians, why do you want to to just keep your quotas instead of being here in the world? The Bible is warning us, do not be confirmed to the world, but be transformed. We don't mean here to be conformed to the world, but we have to live in the world. And we have to deal with the problems of the world. You know, I'm not against homeschooling. I'm definitely not against um, Christian schools. Because it's important. It is important. You know, we have, when you look at statistics, you find people who were in the church where they were little. And then they go to college. They come out of there unbelievers. It's like, what just happened? We shouldn't be asking those questions. Because if you take your child, you give it to Caesar and say, go get training from Caesar. Don't wonder when they come back they are Romans. (laughs) (laughs) It is important, beloved. So Christ, Christ is our mediator. And us as believers, we should not look for um, shy from the world and go away and build our own society somewhere and live there. Um, Because if we do so, what are we expecting for God to send his angel and then with wings and preach the gospel while we're hiding somewhere? Uh, If that's the case, God might, might as well just look for somebody else It looks like. But that's not what Christ is calling us. The Great Commission says go into the world. Go preach the word everywhere. And it's God who's doing the miracles, who's saving people. The Bible says that his name, um, his name shall be called Mighty God. This is really, really important. Because in my line of work, if you don't know the root cause of anything, you can solve it. You always look for the root cause. And you're probably sitting there wondering, why is he talking about this? Um, because until you define correctly what is the problem, until you define truly what is the issue with people, you won't be able to help them. There's no way. And how, how did God do this? He gave us the law. He gave us the law. And what are some of the points that the law is indicating? Why did God give us the law? I'm not going to have everything up there, but I'll have just some of them. Why did God give us the law? He gave us the law to reveal his holy character. He gave us the law to set apart the nation of Israel. He gave us the law to reveal the sinfulness of man. He gave us the law to show us that it's impossible by the works of the law to be correct with God. That's why He gave us the law. And, and in life, you have problems. You have problems that are really difficult. And uh, I am really okay with counseling. Um, it, it's a good thing, but it's not like counseling can solve every single problem in your life. There is no way. There are just those problems that you need to go on your knees. There are just those problems that you need to seek God. And uh, sin is one of those problems. The world is facing that problem since the fall. You name a problem in this world, I'll tell you the root of it. Because sin is one of those problems. And that's why Christ came, because we're important. I mean, we can really do things, create communication. It's amazing what we have done. I can just take my phone and call somebody on the other side of the world. But we couldn't deal with our sins. There's no way. We couldn't. We couldn't in our institution just think out any plan of salvation for our sins. There's no way. We didn't. We couldn't. And uh, the problems, those problems that only God can solve, those are the ones that I called Only God Can Solve Problems. It's a new name if you want to note it down. <laughs> Only God Can Solve Problems. And in your life, you can kind of identify this over here, it's really one of those that I just need to seek God on it. This over here, it's one of those that I need to look for God. Institutions, they can set plans, they can do things but the thing is that they cannot really solve your sin situation and it's only christ who can do that they don't have any medication for that it's christ who can do that i mean you have people um with uh, receiving receiving who would over over and over go back to prison you have situation that's going on i mean the government can do whatever they want in a sense, like set the laws and do all of that. If we learned anything from history, is that laws don't get people right with God. Amen. There is no way. And um, this is going to be a bit controversial. No, that one first. Bear with me, beloved. Okay, that was, that was Calvin saying. Uh, Calvin also is weighing on this a little bit in his book, uh, In Mediator. He, he wrote that. He said, moreover, it was necessary, especially necessary for this cause also that he who was to be our Redeemer should be truly God and man. It was his to swallow up death. Um, who but life could do so? It was his to conquer sin. Who could do so save righteousness itself? It was his to put to flight the powers of the air and the world. Who could do so? But the mighty power superior to both. But who possesses life, righteousness, and the dominion? And the government of heaven but God alone therefore God in his infinite mercy having determined to redeem us became himself our Redeemer in the person of his only begotten son so all of this has to point us toward him all of this has to point up toward him because when we deal with situation in life that are so hard. We can go to counseling, that would be okay, but sometimes it doesn't work, and what we do, we go to our knees. And I have something that is a little bit controversial, as I said before. Um, we have people who go, we have the government, like there's a movement all over the world they're trying to get the government to pass laws that are against, um, like for example in Zambia, they have stricter laws against uh, homosexuals. They have such laws. And in our country, we have conservatives who are working tirelessly to try to reverse the laws, whatever, that to passed before. I mean, if we know anything, laws don't make people right with God, as I said before. And if we try to apply this solution, in a sense, trying to create laws, we are just going to fail. It's bound to fail. But the problem with people, what is it? It is a problem of nature. It is a problem of nature. And unless you change the nature of a person, you cannot really just bind them by the law. Because if you do so, what you will end up having is a bunch of hypocrites, not converted people. Amen. So as I said, the world has a sin problem. And given the world has a sin problem, and all that I have said here, if you just feel like this person just tickled me too much. You can email me to that number. <laughs> <laughs> so efforts of governments will always fail to regulate sin problem because they can't. Uh, but sin problem it's God's problem. Only God can solve that problem, and that's why we have to go to the knee uh, or to our knees and to God and ask Him for help on that. And that's the reason why Christ himself left heaven and came so that He could die for our sins and redeem us from the wrath. That was to come. When you look in the word of God. You find in John 3.3. What is Christ saying? He says unless a person is born again. Cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the situation that we are having. Whatever it is. It is a nature problem. And that is bound to the nature that we have. And therefore we have to go to the creator. And ask him for help. And he has already done it. Because he came for us Um, so all we have to do is to submit to him and he's going to give us a new nature as he said Um, all of all of those who are in christ they have become a new creature the old things have passed away behold everything is new a new nature that you are given you should be able to overcome the world because he said on in the world you will have trials and tribulations but take heart i overcame the world beloved what, is, what kind of burdens that you have in your life? What kind of a situation that you have in your life that, that you haven't submitted to Christ? What is it that is weighing you down in your life that you haven't gone to your knees and seek God? Because it says in his word that, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And you're probably sitting there asking and say, I did a lot of bad things. Is he going to accept me? The word of God says in John 6:37, I will know why cast out. He said, no, but you don't know what I did last night. The word of God says, I will not cast out. You said, no, you don't know about me. Really? Paul was chief of sinners. And Jesus answers that. I will not cast out. He says, all those that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will no wise cast out. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father. This is your word, and it's preached. And I ask, Father, that you do exactly what you intended to do. In Jesus' name, amen.